you know, don't let the lack of time and all the other responsibilities you have in your life prevent you from doing this very important work. You don't want to wake up right when you're about to retire and realize that you're 10 years behind from where you need to be. There is time to do everything we need to do in order to get you ready to that point. And working with a professional that's going to take the heavy lifting out of the equation for you so that you can focus on what you do best would be the best decision you can make moving forward. As Christians, we were taught to be good stewards over our tithing and giving to the less fortunate. But when it came to our own personal finances and investments, we are clueless on what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about managing debt, leaving a legacy, investing, or even planning for retirement? We answer these and many other questions because we want to teach you how to be rich and righteous. If this is your first time to the show, we want to say welcome. If you're coming back for another spiritual refill, welcome back. I am A.B. Ridgeway, and this is Financial Advisors Say the Darndest Things. Judges with evil motives. Now, many listeners may cheer this statement and say, yes, 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 yes. We should not distinguish between the two. We're all equal in the eyes of God, right? But let me ask you, in your pursuit of righteousness, have you chosen the poor man and told him to sit in a good place and told the rich man, you stand over there or sit down in my footstool? Now, in most cases, we have shunned the man who seems self-sufficient, the executive who is the CEO of a major corporation, the executive who controls a large department in a Fortune 500 company, or the executive that has to make crucial decisions about the lives of those employees they serve. So who's standing up for them? Who's helping them stay strong in their faith? Who is making sure that they have soldiers in God's army that will stick to godly principles when making those financial and personal decisions. Well, I'll tell you, our next guest does. That's who. He has been featured on Fox 46 as he spoke on the market impact of discovering the Omicron COVID-19 variant. He has been featured on major news outlets such as CNN, CNBC, Barron's, and MarketWatch. He's been a guest on popular podcasts such as The Prosperity Perspective to share his views on investment ideology of being an entrepreneur in today's time. And Today, he's with us, talking about executives and how to bridge the gap between their faith and their finances. And because this podcast is for busy professionals like us all, I'm going to speak through this a little bit. I am going to keep it short and get to this episode. He is the owner of Abundant Advisors, a certified financial planner, a man of God, a father of two, soon to be three, and a good friend of the show. So please, please, ladies and gentlemen, Let's welcome the man of the hour, Mr. Leo Marte. How are you doing, Leo? Thanks, A.B. That was such a kind introduction. I appreciate your words, and thank you for having me on your platform today. They are so true. I wouldn't say it if they were not. So we are truly blessed to have you on the show. I have been excited to do this interview for a while because at this point, we've made some mistakes on the recording, obviously, but we're going to get through this, right? But we have over 90 episodes at the moment, and a majority of our guests, they focus on the common man, right? And as much as I am glad that those who traditionally don't have access to this information could benefit, I also felt that there was a segment of our society that doesn't benefit from receiving information strictly dedicated to them, which are 
the ultra high net worth individuals and regular high net worth individuals as well. So let me be one of the first to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for serving them because they need your help too. But for our listeners out there, let us know who you are and give us an idea of what to look for and what your ideal client looks like. Well, thank you again um, for that introduction. And I think it's really important to emphasize the kind of people that I work with typically are people that are in very high responsibilities of leadership, uh, senior executives, you know, director, senior director, C-suite, CEOs, you know, people who have a lot of responsibility on their shoulder and their decisions affect a lot of people, not only their employees, but also a lot of consumers in the marketplace that end up utilizing the end products of the companies that they run. As a matter of understanding the kinds of challenges that, that these folks have, I think it's helpful to acknowledge, first of all, that they are just people like you and I. They, they may have a lot more income and they may have a significant amount of assets, but they also struggle through the same challenges financial planning wise that normal average people do. It's just that their problems have a lot of zeros attached to them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> on the other side of the decimal. <laughs> right. That's right. That's correct. On the on the side that on the side that declares uh, you know magnitude. <laughs> that's <laughs> right, right. That's good. Well, so so let's break this down a little bit, right? So I think a majority of people do have a misconception around executives and, and what they think and how they feel. So what are some qualities of an executive for somebody who's out there is like, well, am I an executive? Am I a high net worth individual? So in, in my case, some of them are sometimes do it yourself. They're kind of motivated self learners. What are some other qualities about executives that somebody can say, you know what, I might be an executive. Well, it depends on the size of company and the, the industry that you're in. Some organizations are a lot flatter uh, and some organizations have a lot, many more layers uh, to the node executive level. So typically an executive in a company is usually no more than two levels away from the CEO. So they have responsibility over a large business unit, large organization, usually staff over a hundred people and have responsibility for uh, a profit and loss uh, segment of the organization. So ultimately they're responsible whether that particular group is it adds to the profit of the company or reduces the profit of a company. Executives usually have certain privileges such as special compensation arrangements because they're considered to be critical to the organization's success. And they are also being sought out by competitors who want to poach talent from organizations to continue enabling their own mission. So uh, the compensation arrangements that executives typically experience can range from equity in the company itself, options, uh, specialized retirement plans in the form of deferred compensation. Uh, so those are typically some of the attributes of executive jobs. So if you're sitting here and you are in an organization where your decisions have visibility to the CEO, to the board of directors of a company, you more than likely are considered to be an executive. And then within the executive ranks, there are different layers. And usually the top executives are the ones that report directly to the CEO or what we typically call the C-suite. Right. And we're not neglecting people in the C-suite either. Correct. We're not neglecting those individuals. Those are still considered executives for what you're dealing with. That's right? correct. Everybody from the point that I told you, usually two layers away from the CEO up to and including the CEO, who is the chief executive officer, 
of the company uh, is considered to be an executive. Good. So let's dive into the psychographics, right? So we know what they look like. We know what type of money they make. We know what type of decisions that they make for a company, the size of the company, everything that you pretty much outlined there. I want to dive into more of the mentality of the individual that you typically work with, right? So going into your, your beautiful website, right? You get to see and feel what Abundant Advisor is really about. And some of the key words that really jump out at me um, as somebody who uh, has been in that corporate environment and, and been an executive on that level, the high degree of purpose, right? The individual that knows what they want, they know how to get it and they are willing to execute it if it makes sense. So can you tell us more about the mindset and the ambitions and some may even call it executive presence um, of the people that you serve. What does that look like? Well, I think it's important to remember that anyone that gets to that level of the organization does not get there by accident. You cannot be in the top one to 2% of a company uh, just because you showed up. There are certain things that need to happen in your career from advocacy and sponsorship from other senior executives to help you go, grow through the ranks to also showing results by having progressively larger le levels of responsibility where you're demonstrating your ability to be able to manage, influence people. And you mentioned something really important, which is purpose. Uh, you know, not only do you need to have the purpose to get into the position, but you have to have the purpose in order to lead people. You cannot lead a group of 100, 200, 500, 2000 employees and have no purpose because people are naturally attracted to leaders that have a vision and that are able to cast that vision, communicate that vision and energize them to be able to accomplish a common goal. So the people that are in these seats are very special individuals. They're not the, the common person and there's nothing wrong with being common or being uh, an, an average person walking around the street. It's just that these people are endowed with particular skills and abilities that most people don't have. And that's how they end up in positions of influence and authority over the lives of potentially uh, millions. I think that's beautiful. And you're a Christian firm or a firm that has strong Christian beliefs and values. And this point I want to bring up here, because when Jesus was um, gathering his first disciples, right, he goes out to these fishermen that has an occupation, they have a job, and he says, listen, follow me. And they drop the rods, they drop the fish, and they go follow him. You know, Jesus is very authoritative. He's self-confident. He knows what he's talking about. He didn't try to convince him with logic. He didn't give them a long proposal of 30, 45 minutes, why he should follow him, what's great about him. He had this executive presence about him and he was able to lead. And he says, I will make you fisher of men. And these executives that you serve reminds me of that, of that presence to say, listen, we're going to honor God. We are going to be Christ like in our mission and our purpose and how we guide those employees on this executive level. So I, I really appreciate, you know, your firm diving into these biblical principles. Uh, what are some of the other, you know, backbones of your investment firm and some of the core values that you believe in? From a, from a financial planning standpoint, which is the main discipline uh, that we espouse in my firm, I think it's important to recognize that uh, God has given us resources 
and he expects us to steward those resources according to his principles. And the financial planning process helps us achieve just that. You know, it gets us from making decisions in the immediate short term uh, into looking at the intermediate and the long term. And when you look at financial planning, it goes beyond just the basics. You know, do you have the right insurance coverage or do you are you using your cash flow effectively every month to like deeper and more profound issues? Like, are you is your family prepared emotionally to inherit money? Are you doing the work and walking the journey of generational wealth now? Don't wait until you're 70 or 80. That's that's potentially too late. It, it really is a journey that takes a long time to prepare yourself, to prepare the capital to pass on, but also to prepare your family to inherit that. Um, and I think that having that focus on, you know, what a, that, that that this money, this these assets are for something bigger than me rather to to equip a family to manage this on god's behalf but to also use these resources to impact the world uh, for god's purposes is probably the most important aspect of the work that i do and the key differentiator from other firms that do not have a faith focus that's awesome and another thing too from my perspective from the outside looking in it almost looks like your firm frees up cash flow so the executives can give more. They can be more generous in, in their giving because, you know, almost like what we believe here is that the more money that we can keep in our pockets and the less that we have to pay in taxes, the less that we have to pay in, in fees and things of that nature is more money in our pockets. We believe that we are better equipped to steward God's wealth when it's in our hands, you know, to not relinquish that power to um, another entity as far as the government or somewhere else is that God has trusted us with these assets. And it seems to me what I'm hearing is that at your firm is that you focus on making sure they are great stewards of their wealth and finding strategies. And that's what differentiates you from the general financial planner who may implement the same strategies but the intent is way off base, right? They're way different than what you're doing. You're saying, hey, how can we get this into the kingdom of God to expand it? Because like the kingdom, when you invest in the kingdom, everyone wins, right? That's perfect, perfect. So let's, let's go a little bit further. So let's break down some of these misconceptions we have about executives. One, they're arrogant, they're narcissistic, they only think about themselves, right? These are some of the outside looking in, but from the inside, we see a different perspective of the servant leader the person who is in charge has to make that switch a successful leader at that not the failures the successful ones has to switch and say i cannot lean on my own understanding almost as it says in proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 trust in the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding so what are you seeing with your executives that come to you and says leo i'm the cfo of my company i do spreadsheets i do k1s i know all the numbers but coming home, you know what? I need somebody to help me with my finances. I'm struggling. I don't really have the time. What do you say to those individuals? In my opinion, I think it's helpful to first validate the external perspective that people have about executives because it is very real. It's just that there's no two ways about it. The truth is that because it requires a special set of skills and abilities to be in these roles, it is not 
out of the ordinary to find many people who exhibit those traits such as narcissism and arrogance and and over overconfidence in their own abilities uh, because quite frankly they've already demonstrated that they are in the top one percent of their peer group uh, now I, I think that the what's helpful to differentiate is that I personally don't work with all executives I work with executives who have a a who want to live their life and model their uh, wealth journey after biblical principles. And for the people who are in that boat, it, it, those conversations can be really powerful because just as I said earlier in this episode, they are, they're struggling with very similar questions than you and I would. Um, where do I live? What size house should I have? Uh, where should my kids go to college? Uh, am I uh, am I saving enough to be able to retire with dignity? Uh, you would be surprised how many executives who who earn a very good living end up getting to retirement and have to live a much much lower lifestyle because you know they thought the money was never going to end up run out you know and and they they realize that you know they get to their their final years and you know these are people that have made you know, 500, 800, a million dollars a year, $2 million a year. And, you know, over their entire executive career, which usually spans 10, 15 years, you know, before they retire, because usually somebody becomes an executive in the second half of their professional career, not as early as some people uh, do. You know, they get to the end of their years and they realize, wow, I, I just made over my career, you know, 15, 20 million dollars and I have less than five to my name. And, wow. and then they realize, wow, I can't have the lifestyle that I used to have based on the resources that I have today. Now, the people that come work with me and they're smart enough to identify that danger are doing their homework 10 or 15 years before they get to that point so that they're being wise stewards of their assets today. They're living within their means or even below their means in many cases. They're saving, they're investing, they're giving, they are, they have a balanced financial picture. And then once they get to retirement, they can sustain that same standard of living through the end of their days. That's awesome. I think that's the number one concern, right? People are afraid to outlive their money by any capacity. I think one thing we do want to address too, uh, if, if you don't mind, we talk about this is, is greed to a certain extent, right? I think everybody understands that question. How much is enough? But I don't think a lot of people ask that question enough in their process. Is that what you're helping them to identify? Like, how much do I need to live and how much am I giving to the the next generation, to the next stewards? Right. Because it says in Proverbs that a good man leaves an inheritance for their children's children. But if we're working 10, 15 years in this executive position, we've accumulated 15 million, as you said, but we only have five million to our name. And we have to live on this lifestyle. I mean, how are we going to pass it on to the next generation? So maybe if you can elaborate on the fact that how do you help an executive identify how much is enough to sustain their lifestyle through retirement and still have enough to gift enough to pass on for wealth transfers, inheritance, beneficiaries, things of that nature. I want to address first the piece about greed, because I sure. think people and the, and the media has a lot of responsibility for this. Uh, people wrongly associate greed with rich people. And greed is knocking at 
everyone's door. Mm. Uh, and both, you know, poor people can be greedy and rich people can be greedy. Greed is a result of the human broken condition. Uh, we always wow. want more than we have, and we will use as many resources as we have at our disposal. Um, and, and that is part of just the fallen human nature. Now, when it comes to the question, what is enough? I'm going to say something that's perhaps a little controversial. I actually don't believe that that's the right question to ask. Because that presumes that you own everything that you have and that you're making a, a decision about how much of that is going to be left over for somebody else. I examine this problem from a completely different perspective. And to me is, how can, I, how can we give you a full, complete, and happy life that is well-balanced and addresses all of these necessary categories that we call Christian stewardship. And that may mean a lifestyle on $80,000 when you're making a million, or that could mean a lifestyle that looks very different than that. It doesn't have to do with a number. I think it has to do with an attitude of the heart. You know, good, good stewards give intentionally and drive a lot of success and impact and outcomes on many kingdom activities. But great stewards are people who not only give money, but also give expertise and, and use their talents and skills in order to create something great. Let me give you an example of that, because we have a lot of great executive archetypes in the Bible. People are going to think crazy, but let's... Abraham, everybody, let's go. Let's work through that. If I could tell you there is a perfect leadership training program, it would be Jesus, right? That, you know, I, I wouldn't even presume to box in Jesus into an executive role because, you know, it just, he just couldn't fit it. It's too, he's too big for that. Uh, but he turned a whole bunch of fishermen and, and people who had, for the most part, no formal education into the most influential executives in the history of mankind, right? These people created, started the Christian church, and to this day, we still have the outcome of their work. Yes. You know, when you look at the Old Testament, you know, you look at people like Joseph, who... Uh, through a series of mishaps, ended up being the second most powerful man in the country of Egypt. And because of him, millions of people did not perish because he was the, the, the best example in the scriptures of financial planning. He literally is the OG financial planner. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you, know, you have men like Daniel, who was a very senior advisor to multiple emperors and somehow found himself from the age of roughly 15 until he was a very old man being in the most powerful rooms with the most powerful people in the world and never ever ever denying his faith in God or putting aside his beliefs in order to be an effective advisor or an effective executive uh, so I think this notion that you know, there is a there is a cap or a limit 
that needs to be identified beyond which everything is given, I think perhaps is the wrong question to ask. I think what we need to ask is, how do we give you a great life that honors God, reflects his image? And then how do we use your skill set, both your ability to create money, but also your ability to create products, to build organizations in order to then manifest his glory into the into the marketplace. I, I, that's how I approach it with my clients. And I hope that's a helpful understanding of why. Yeah, it's, it's very helpful. And you bring up a good point. Um, I was talking earlier with uh, Tyler uh, Huckenberg, and we were discussing the four things as leaders, what we need to do in the marketplace. And one of them was uh, we need people who will live out Christ-like ethics in the marketplace. We need people who will serve others in Jesus's name. Uh, we need people who will create wealth in the marketplace to support missions. And we also need people to be creative thought leaders in the marketplace. So all these things we addressed as far as what's needed and to kind of address what you're telling about what's enough. The idea of enough to me, it's not a number. I agree with you 100%. I don't, I don't think that's a number. I guess my approach to how much is enough is that in my heart to heart is, is not a number, but at the moment that you are able to give out of your resources is the moment you have identified how much is enough to me to give is a signal to yourself and to humanity that what God has provided for you up to this point is sufficient. It is the people who have greed and feel that if they give, they're going to run out of money. You know, if they uh, donate an extra hundred dollars or two hundred dollars that for some reason they're no longer have food, water and shelter. And I think is that concept, the chains of financial f- freedom. You know, this misnomer of there is a such thing as financial freedom, and we identify it more as a freedom from finances. The idea that I can live a lifestyle that I am not chained to an income, I am not chained to a job, I'm not chained to a lifestyle, but that comes through proper planning. You know, you can't just wake up one day and says, here you go, here's my five dollars, here's my ten dollars, here's a hundred dollars, you're gonna go, you're gonna go broke as a professional in this industry. You can't just give everything away. We have to have a little bit of foresight, right? And that's why God empowers us with discernment to decide what that is. And that's why I encourage all of my listeners who are listening now to talk to Leo because that's your job, right, Leo? Your job is to crunch the numbers, your job is to, you know, make sure that your projections are right, the economy is right, and that you're structured in such a way that you can live the life that you want to. And your client's job is to enjoy life, is to get the finer things in life that they said, focus on things that are in heaven, not the things that are here on earth. Right. So let's let's continue this conversation because I love this conversation. Leo, thank you. Thank you again. I know it's kind of mid podcast at the moment, but I'm really enjoying this conversation. It's different. You know, me. When you go onto YouTube, you see your Tony Robbins, you see your Warren Buffett's and everybody else who are these investment gurus and motivational speakers. But yet we have not turned to the Bible, which is full of the same things. <laughs> people that we really want to resemble our lives behind. I'm glad you opened my eyes to it. And I'm glad you opened up our listeners eyes or ears in this case for that same idea. Now, as far as service is concerned, I'm a jump ship just a little bit here, if you don't mind. A little birdie told me that you are now sitting on a new board to help support your local community. Can you tell us more about what you're doing in your community um, to help further the kingdom of God and help everybody included? 
Yeah, so I recently joined a, a board uh, for an organization called Computers for Community. And even though I've spent all of my professional life in the financial services industry, I have a, a, a deeply held passion for technology and, and everything that it can bring to the world. Uh, I went to school uh, for computer science. Uh, so I, I entered the financial services industry through IT. And even though I changed my career track early on to go towards financial advice, I've always held that desire to do something in the technology space. So I joined the board of this organization that attempts to do primarily three things. Number one is to address the issue of um, you know, organizations that are unable to get great technology because they're nonprofits and they're unable to afford some of the softwares that big corporations can pay for. Uh, so this this organization helps you know nonprofits be able to get preferential pricing on great technology tools to fulfill their missions. Uh, number two, it does a phenomenal job at taking devices that big companies do not no longer desire because of the refresh cycles and the requirements of high-tech equipment to then repurpose all of that technology that would have otherwise gone to waste and put it in the hands of people in the community that desperately need connectivity. And that is a very important aspect of education, uh, of the job market, where if you don't have access to technology, you can't even apply for a job nowadays. And you know, for those of us who live in, you know, a middle class or upper middle class life and above, it is completely incredible, ludicrous in our mind that somebody would not have access to a computer. But there are millions of people in this country every day that do not have access to great technology to do what they need to do. And then the third aspect that this organization does is be able to recycle that e-waste. And uh, you know those devices that cannot be repurposed because they're obsolete or they've reached their end of life and take it out of the hands of those big companies and then help recycle them and be able to repurpose the monies that come out of the recycling process into helping organizations continue to further connectivity programs uh, for the for the region. So again, three things. You know, number one is uh, the, the availability of software value added uh, reselling for nonprofits, uh, be able to repurpose devices for people that don't have connectivity. And number three, take e-waste and be able to fully recycle them to be good stewards of the environment uh, and pour more into those organizations that are fulfilling great missions. Well, that's beautiful. I, I don't know exactly where I saw this at and don't quote me, but um, historically, there's been different levels that were considered the catalyst to wealth gaps. So first it was race. Different countries had different resources, whether you had gold in Africa, or if you had oil in the, the mid, uh, Middle East. But then it kind of transferred to class, you know, upper class, middle class, things of that nature as far as wealth is concerned. And I read a couple of articles talking about that the technology gap is going to be the, the biggest creator of that, that difference between who's well off and, and who's not well off because some of these countries don't even have internet, you know? So how are you going to maneuver in blockchain and cryptocurrency or whatever it may be down the line if you don't even have access to high-speed internet? It's just not gonna work. I, I was driving down the street the other day and 
I did a little video, you know, a little video. And I thought to myself, when I was a little kid, 20, 30 years ago, this video, the computer that I had would not have the capacity to process this little video I did. Whether it's only 15 seconds, it would take 200 floppy disk or, you know, three zip drives <laughs> just trying to load this thing on a computer. And once it's loaded, it probably wouldn't even play because it doesn't have the processor. I say all this to say this, is that technology is moving so fast. I think you're doing a wonderful job with this nonprofit, getting technology to the community so we can help close some of those gaps because some of our brightest and smartest minds are in these gaps, are in this technology gaps. And for you to be able to give the technology to them and recycle responsibly, I think that's a beautiful thing as well. So um, definitely kudos to you for doing that. Now, let me ask you something as far as now that we're talking about wealth, let's dive into generational wealth and, and wealth transfers, right? So we talked about the executive accumulating the wealth, right? Through their job, um, executive presence and their, their self-determination and their like purpose-driven uh, work ethic. Then we started talking about the the mindset that you need to be Christ-like so, and, and actually build that wealth. Now let's talk about the wealth transfer. Now that you have that life, can you take the next steps as far as the generational transfer of wealth? When it comes to generational wealth, I think there's a lot of confusion. Uh, and because again, I think that the media and the popular culture turns the conversation around generational wealth exclusively around money. And there is a there is an old old saying in the industry that uh, you know families go from shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. So mm. the first generation sacrifices, creates something great, creates uh, wealth. The second generation is is born in the middle of the struggle, not struggling themselves, but in the middle of the struggle. Has a lot of respect for that. Um, legacy and builds that uh, that economic base, that capital into something even bigger. But by the third generation, you haven't struggled, you haven't built anything, and your emotional connection to the legacy starts to weaken because now you're two set generations separate from the creator of this fortune. So that's why I think that the generational wealth conversation has to go around transferring values and not transferring money. Because money is going to be transferred whether you want it or not. You know, eventually we all, you know, will pass. And uh, there are laws in the books that provide for the transfer of everything you have to the people that you leave behind. So right. <laughs> I, I sure hope you have a plan to make it easier on them instead of leaving it to the courts. Uh, but the truth is that no matter what you do, whether you do something about it or not, money will be transferred. The question is, will the money that is transferred be a blessing or be a curse to the people that come after you? And that's where the generational wealth journey has to start throughout your life, but also throughout the next generation's upbringing. Um, if you're if you feel that you're late because your kids are grown and gone from the home, it's not too late yet. As long as you're alive, there is time to be able to invest in this. It's, you're just going to be more effective at it the earlier you begin, because you know neuroplasticity and child development you know, experts will tell you that they're going to absorb things a lot better than once we have fully formed identities. 
Yeah, I think I have a I have a guest that's coming on later to talk about that gap because he wrote a book about this and he's writing a series of children's books aimed at seven year olds because a study shows that children start to develop this these ideas around money around as early as seven. What money does, how to buy candy, how to exchange. And they really are not introduced until financial topics, until college. And somebody throws a credit card in their face and now they're twenty, thirty thousand dollars in debt because they don't know what you know, they think is free money. Right. So I think that's very crucial for, like you said, to to pass on that legacy of understanding. Um, there's a saying that says um, you should pass on your legacy of good, not just your goods. Exactly. And, you know, when it comes to teaching kids and grandkids the importance of being a good steward of wealth, I, you know, as you're engaging in those conversations, you can't you can't expect them to go through the same experiences that you went or your parents went in the struggle to create what you're creating. That is foreign to them. But you need to create a virtual sense of scarcity for them. You know, that as they manage the resources that they have, they're gonna have to make decisions that will impact not just today, but years down the road, the outcomes of their life. And then once you are able to equip them with both a strong faith foundation so that they are representing Christ in everything they do and a, and a strong set of financial principles, then you can give that person a billion dollars and it won't break them because you've set that foundation to build whatever building you want to build on top of that. It is when those things are missed along the way that people find themselves with sudden wealth and it could even take their life. Yes. You know, I really appreciate what you're saying here because these are the nuances of being an executive that only people who are around executive know. So my listeners tune in here. I want you to turn it up just a little bit more. If you're an executive, I want you to turn it up a little bit more because when you go to a generalist, a general financial advisor, who doesn't understand this, he's going to say, oh, you have a lot of money. You have eight million dollars. Who cares? You can live the rest of your life till you're 75 and give give your kids whatever that you want to. But listen to Leo here. He's telling you that you may be be doing something that is detrimental to your lineage by just saying, I'm going to pass on this money that I've accumulated. Now, I've done my little research on Leo, and I'm going to have him tap into a story. We talked about people in the Bible. We talked about Daniel. We talked about Jesus being the leader. But he's he's holding back a little bit, and I want to poke him just a little bit if I can get this story out of him. Because Leo told me one time, he says that wealth generation and wealth building is a product of discipline and stewardship. I'm going to say that again. Wealth building is a product of discipline and stewardship. That means if you do not pass on your knowledge of discipline and stewardship and just your goods, you are not passing on everything that you need to. And he shares a story of Abraham, and I'm not going to take his thunder by no means, but I'm going to have him share his story about Abraham, his approach to wealth and how he was a good steward and provided um, was provided more wealth because he handled the wealth that he already had. I think the one dimension that was that was missing from that wonderful intro into the story is that it is it, it's about discipline and everything that you mentioned over time. Yes. 
And, and that is a very important aspect of the wealth creation process because people think that they're going to become rich overnight. You know, we bought into this idea that you can be an influencer, a creator, a YouTuber, and that may well be true. There are people who do become rich very quickly, but that is a very small proportion of the population. Most people take a while to become wealthy. Even executives that have high incomes take a while to be able to build an asset base that constitutes true wealth. Being high earning does not make you wealthy. And I think that's a very important distinction. Now, Abraham was another one of those executive archetypes in the Bible that I truly admire and study. Uh, Abraham was known, you know, both in extra biblical literature, uh, but also just through the biblical lens of the stories that we see as not only a faithful man who, who followed the Lord and uh, and believed in his promises, but also somebody who was very effective at managing his household. Uh, yes. His main business was being a shepherd, you know, having cattle, having, you know, sheep, you know, and, and that was that was where his wealth was primarily derived from. When he left uh, his hometown, um, you know, when he went to the promised land, he took the wealth that his family had created because he certainly was no, you know, was not a poor person when he left. Right. But he made a number of decisions along the way that demonstrated that beyond what the Bible is telling you in writing, it's giving you more information about him than meets the eye. A good example of this is when his nephew Lot was kidnapped by some some bad people, uh, you know, he assembled a small army of men that had been raised in his household and had been trained for war. So Abraham had warlike capabilities in his family. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and that's a lot to say that you know, That's a lot to say. That's that he went and he fought against kings of city-states and beat them. Right. Right. So somebody does not just happen into a situation like that. That takes planning, right. that takes training, that takes foresight, that takes resources to feed and to and to prepare a small army to be able to protect the wealth that you are creating. Um, another thing that I that I find very interesting about Abraham is his knowledge that whoever his son married would have a significant impact over his son's ability to cultivate the legacy. So yes. he was very intentional about not letting his son marry. And let's be let's make a quick a quick uh, pause here. Let's remember that this is a culture and a time where parents pick the spouses. So, you know, in a current sense, some of these things are not applicable anymore. But in his context, he realized if I let him marry into the the Canaanite cultures that are surrounding this new land, he's going to be led astray. So I need to look for somebody that agrees on a values level with him so that they can then take this legacy and move it forward. And he was very successful at that. Yeah, you know what? You hit a great point here, right? Aligning your values with the people you want to move your legacy forward with. Now, are you, are you going to walk into a bank or walk into a financial firm and just align your values with somebody and just hope? You know, you're rolling the dice. You're rolling the dice here. So you hit a great point. You know, with your firm, you're aligning your values and your beliefs that's actually going to move their legacy forward. And I think this is really great for executives here too as well. 
obviously this show is pretty much dedicated to y'all so please thank me later in the comments or through email or however that you want to thank me for bringing this here because i really think you're underserved and i think this is really going to open our eyes to what it means to be an executive and what it means to pass on your legacy i kind of want to say something too to all the executives out there it says in proverbs chapter 19 verse 2 that also it is not good for a person to be without knowledge and he who hurries his footsteps errs and what that means is that you may be great at your job we're not denying that like leo said earlier you do not make it to the top one percent because you're not competent we know you're competent we actually even know that you're qualified to be up there but when it comes to your personal finances are you competent are you qualified do you have the knowledge and we have to be humble here yes if i gave you a stack of papers about financial planning you probably could dig through them and you probably could figure it out yourself but do you have time for that because god tells us to focus on the things that are up in heaven with your family about love and you need time and we're going to talk about time in a little bit um when we get to leo secret surprise at the end we'll talk about time in a little bit but <laughs> but what we're going to do now well you know what let's let's do it leo are you ready um, let's let's get into time i was born ready okay so we're gonna play a game my listeners know what game this is it's the best part of the podcast for me personally it is time for 10 for 10. now not to be confused with espn's 30 for 30 because i don't want to get sued but for my loyal listeners, they know what this is all about. If you're new to the podcast, I, once again, I want you to turn it up. And if you have it on full blast, you can't turn on anymore. But get my point. In this segment, our guest gets 10 seconds to answer 10 questions. Now, think it, I'll be nice and give him 10 seconds per question. I won't make him answer one second <laughs> at a time. So, Leo, are you ready for 10 for 10? Leo has not seen these questions. Um, so we get to laugh well with Leo. Let's not laugh at Leo. See what he says. Are you ready, Leo? I sure hope so. <laughs> okay. So one, according to the Securities and Exchange Commission, what is the minimum investable asset and net worth required to be considered a high net worth individual? $750,000 uh, in assets under management and uh, $1.5 million in positive net worth. Oh, I see you, Leo. I see you. I see you. Number two, what is the biggest mistake that you see with executives who receive RSUs or restricted stock units as compensation? They tend to hold it too long. Perfect. Number three, according to Forbes Council, they state that business executives' second greatest challenge is time restraints. 22% of the leaders they surveyed said time was their greatest challenge. Time was especially problematic for members of the Forbes Communication Council at 36%, Forbes Finance Council at 33%, leaders just below the C-suite and VP positions at 29%. The following are just a couple of examples that they said they need help with. Finding the time to complete all the tasks that they need to complete, managing multiple commitments, balancing corporate leadership roles with building their own business. With that said, how do you help executives alleviate the pressure of dealing with their second greatest challenge, time restraint? I help them by taking away the most stressful aspect of their life, which is money. So when I take that out of their plate, then they're then able and empowered to be able to do their job day in and day out, knowing that their financial situation is taken care of. 
Perfect. Number four, you're on fire, Leo. Good job. You done better than most. Most struggle around number three. So let's get number four. According to another article by Forbes written by Liz Davidson, she states that many of the people they work with are executives or other professionals who are very successful in their careers. But between their job and their family, they often have little time left over for their personal finances, especially when financial planning doesn't seem as urgent as other things going on in their lives. In that case, managing your money can feel like fighting one handed. She lists three reasons that executives feel overwhelmed. And the number two reason is they are overwhelmed with debt. Now, as a society, we assume those who make a lot of money don't have debt. As a financial planner, what value add would you provide to an executive that was high net worth, but was currently struggling with a little bit of the debt? The way I look at it is I want to move you towards a point where you are free from any chains to anyone. And debt is a chain, no matter how you look at it. Uh, now, there are good reasons why somebody would be in debt, um, you know, debt that is backed by assets, uh, for example. However, my my responsibility is to help. Ten seconds, Leo. <laughs> Ten seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll move on to five. Hey, you're still doing good, though. You know, you're, you're three out of four. You're three out of All four. Right. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. Number five, rank the following three financial planning topics from one to three retirement savings debt management and wealth transfers debt management one retirement savings two wealth transfers three good six this is a multiple choice question restricted stock units are taxed and consider income in a the year they are vested b the following calendar year or c never because you never sold them a Good. All right. I see you, Leo. <laughs> Let's go. We're on number seven. Number seven. In the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 14 through 30, Jesus tells the parable of the talents. Why was the master mad? The, the master servant? was mad because the servant did not invest or do anything with what he gave him. He just chose to bury it. Number eight. So many people are like that. <laughs> if you're out there, do not be like the servant. Make sure that you invest. If you had a listener, an executive, who didn't know anything about Christian finance, but wanted to learn some basics from you, what resources do you have to get them up to speed? Uh, I think the best place to start is my course called How to Build a Christian Financial Plan. It'll give you the basics of everything you need to know in every area of financial planning to get started. Number nine, rumor has it, and I may have said this in the intro, but you have two children and you have one on the way thinking back to your first two children who changed the most diapers between you and your wife and who got up in the middle of the night the most 100 percent, my wife there's no debate about that <laughs> i did a lot of diaper changing in the beginning but because my wife stays home and i was working out of the house all day uh, for most of their childhood it's just she wins that competition <laughs> cool good good answer I think we saved another relationship here. Number 10, if you had one wish and could change one misconception about Christian finance and working with executives, what would it be? I wish that people did not have a stigma around being wealthy because God has given them the skills and the ability to create that wealth and they should honor him with it instead of being ashamed of it. Beautiful. You have successfully 
completed. 10 for 10 on financial advisors say the darndest things. How do you feel? I don't know, man. I feel like that that question that I get that I uh, got buzzed on, I was I was getting right. I should have gotten the 10 <laughs> points out of the 10. I'm a it's, you know, guy. it's a pretty. Yeah, it's a pretty difficult question to kind of summarize in 10 seconds. But a that's that's the game. So <laughs> we want to give you a big thank you for coming on the show. And I would be remiss. And so with the audience, if I didn't give you a chance to tell those executives out there, that don't have time to manage their personal finances because they're dealing with company finances, the executives that want to just enjoy their family when they get home, the CFO that needs a CFO, what would you tell them and how can they reach out you to know, you? Don't let the lack of time and all the other responsibilities you have in your life prevent you from doing this very important work. You don't wanna wake up right when you're about to retire and realize that you're 10 years behind from where you need to be. There is time to do everything we need to do in order to get you ready to that point. And working with a professional that's gonna take the heavy lifting out of the equation for you so that you can focus on what you do best would be the best decision you can make moving forward. So the best way to contact me is to go to abundantadvisors.com. You can see my information and schedule a consultation. And I would love to get to know you and your family and understand how I can best serve you. Well, that's it, my tithing titans and my gifting gals. That is it from financial advisors say the darndest things. And if you're not subscribed to the show, I want you to go to our website and receive our Christian resource guide Four biblical principles every Christian should know about investing and creating generational wealth. Just go to www.abrwealthmanagement.com backslash podcast into your name and email and start fellowshipping with thousands of listeners and tithing Christians just like you. Stay informed on upcoming guests, download the free Christian resource and be notified of special access codes for bonus material. Be sure to tune in because we will have a blog post about yours truly, Mr. Leo Marte. Go visit there, listen to his episode, share it with friends and family, and be sure to check back every Friday as we release new episodes right here where you listen to your favorite podcast. Well, I am A.B. Ridgeway, and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. Tithing Titans and my gifting gals. That is it from financial advisors say the darndest things. And if you're not subscribed to the show, I want you to go to our website and receive our Christian resource guide Four biblical principles every Christian should know about investing and creating generational wealth. Just go to www.abrwealthmanagement.com backslash podcast into your name and email and start fellowshipping with thousands of listeners and tithing Christians just like you. Stay informed on upcoming guests, Download the free Christian resource and be notified of special access codes for bonus material. Be sure to tune in because we will have a blog post about yours truly, Mr. Leo Marte. Go visit there, listen to his episode, share it with friends and family, and be sure to check back every Friday as we release new episodes right here where you listen to your favorite podcast. Well, I'm A.B. Ridgeway, and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. I hope that you've been blessed. As always, this episode was created by A.B. Ridgeway, owner of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management, a virtual and in-person fee-only advisor that believes that financial advice should have God in it. If you need help figuring out your finances, feel free to reach out to us at 337-414-3686 or visit our website at www.abrwealthmanagement.com and schedule a free consultation. New episodes are available every Friday, so be sure to subscribe. You can also listen to our podcast on your favorite platforms, Amazon Music, 
Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more. Or simply visit our website and join our family. I am A.B. Ridgeway, and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. Elijah Ridgeway is an investment advisor representative and owner of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor which produces a podcast show and makes it available on its website and through other distribution channels. Elijah Ridgeway and any guests on the podcast are providing their own views and opinion are not necessarily the views and opinions of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management. Nothing on the podcast should be construed as solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any specific security. Investment advisory services are only provided to investors who become A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management client pursuant to a written investment management agreement. Clients of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management may hold positions and securities discussed in the podcast. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk and may lose money. Financial advisors say the Darnestine podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for any investment decisions. Instead, please consult a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, and or conduct your own due diligence.